Amber Athey filling in this afternoon. And uh, give me a moment, just a little moment to to plug a little bit about myself. If you'd like to find me outside of the show, you can go to spectatorworld.com. I write a few articles a week over there about everything from politics to media to culture. And I also host my own radio program Sunday nights at 6 p.m. on WCBM. You can find me on Twitter at Amber underscore Athey. Or if you'd like to talk to me right now, you can call in 1-800-922-6680. There have been a lot of investigations recently into the use of hormone therapy and gender transition surgeries on minors across the country. It turns out that as we had our backs turned, the left was ushering in this new era of medical oppression of children. A lot of hospitals across the country, we've now found out, are indeed prescribing young children puberty blockers, uh, hormones, and are even performing surgeries such as double mastectomies on underage kids who claim that they identify as a different gender than the one that they were born as. And Matt Walsh from Daily Wire has a new investigation into the Vanderbilt University Transgender Clinic. And this is very revealing, not only because it exposes the fact that they are doing this. A lot of people claim that this isn't actually happening, that we just made it all up. It does reveal that Vanderbilt is prescribing these things and and doing these surgeries on minors, but it also tells you a little bit about why they're doing it. Because it turns out that it's not just that they truly believe that these children will die if they don't get to live in a different body with a different gender presentation, but these surgeries are also really profitable for the hospitals. And that is almost more evil to me. Because if you believe deep down that a child will commit suicide if they don't get to live as the gender they identify as, I think you're sick still. I still think you're a weirdo and that you're completely wrong and disgusting and probably demonic. But at least it comes from a real belief. But if you're working at a hospital and you're doing this because you can make a lot of money off of it, consequences be damned that seems even worse to me because you are throwing all moral uh, qualms out the window in favor of making a quick buck so Matt Walsh has this Twitter thread he says my team and I have been investigating the transgender clinic at Vanderbilt here in Nashville Vanderbilt drugs chemically castrates and performs double mastectomies on minors but it gets worse Here is what we found. And he posts a video from Dr. Shane Taylor, who talks about these surgeries being a big moneymaker. This is cut 11. Starting in January 1st of 2017, according to the Affordable Care Act, insurance carriers are mandated to cover medical expenses for trans folks. some of our BUMC financial folks in, 20, in August of 20, I'm sorry, October of 2016, sorry, a couple of years ago, put down some costs of how much money we think each patient would bring in. And this is only including top surgery. This isn't including any bottom surgery. And um, it's a lot of money. These surgeries make a lot of money. Um, so female to male chest reconstruction can bring in $40,000. 
uh, a patient just on routine hormone treatment who I'm only seeing a few times a year can bring in several thousand dollars that requires a lot of visits and labs. It actually makes money for the hospital. Now these I got from the internet, um, but it's from uh, the Philadelphia Center for Transgender Surgery, which has um, does a lot of um, surgery for patients. And I just want to give you an idea of how much these bottom surgeries are making. And this is, I think this has to be an underestimate. Uh, this is for a vaginoplasty. They're saying they're quoting roughly around $20,000 for a vaginoplasty, but that doesn't include your hospital stay, that doesn't include your post-op visits, that doesn't include um, your anesthesia, your OR. So I would think that this has to be a gross underestimate. I think that's just like the surgeon's um, piece of it, which anybody who's ever been in the hospital knows that that's like 10% of it. Uh, and then the female to male bottom surgeries, these are huge money makers. Again, I think this has to be an underestimate that they're quoting around $20,000 for a phalloplasty. There's been different things that I've read that said it could be up to $100,000. Um, Dr. Winokur, who's our surgeon, says that there's entire clinics where the entire clinic is supported just by their phalloplasties. And that is like a fraction of the surgeries that they're doing. These surgeries are labor intensive. They require a lot of follow-ups. They require a lot of OR time. This is a huge problem, obviously, across the medical industry where doctors over-prescribe or uh, encourage people to get treatments or surgeries that they don't really need because they're covered by insurance, so they know that they're going to get paid. And that's already bad enough. But when you're ignoring the obvious negative effects on children because of the potential for money-making, that is just downright evil that they would do that. Every study about the use of hormone therapy or surgeries on minors is clear about the fact that these do not reduce suicidal ideation. They do not make children more comfortable in their bodies. They don't lead to a subsiding of gender dysphoria. Because the vast majority of children who have these kinds of thoughts, who, who report feeling like they were born in the wrong body or feeling uncomfortable with themselves, grow out of those feelings by the time they reach the age of 18. So if you put them through these therapies, these surgeries, you have stolen their childhood and you have created irreversible physical effects from the inability to bear children, developing brittle bones, having effects on brain function, strength, mobility. These children are permanently altered in the name of this woke gender ideology and for hospital profit, even though most of them, without any intervention, will grow up to not have gender dysphoria. Then there's the social contagion aspect of this, where kids are being fed this by teachers. They're being uh, encouraged by peers to identify as one of these new made-up genders the left has created. And a lot of them do this in packs, especially young girls, because they, they want to feel accepted. And it's no longer cool to just be a cisgender white person who is straight you end up getting a lot more acceptance from the out group, the minority group, 
if you take on one of these other accepted identities. Also in the Matt Walsh investigation at Vanderbilt, they they talk about being concerned that staff members might not be on board with the idea of uh, of giving these surgical and medical interventions to young people struggling with gender dysphoria. And the response to those concerns from Dr. Ellen Clayton is very disturbing. This is cut 12. If you are going to assert conscientious objection, you have to th- realize that that is problematic. You are doing something to another person and you are not paying for the, the cost for your belief. I think that is a real, I mean, I think that's a real issue. So, um, so I think, you know, so you're, so yes, Vanderbilt, if someone has a conscientious objection to uh, participating in this sort of surgery, it, it probably has to accommodate you to the extent that you can find another person who can do your job, who doesn't have an objection, other things of that nature. But I just want you to take home that saying that you're not going to do something because of your conscientious, because of your religious beliefs is not without consequences. And, and it should not be without consequences. And I just want to put that out there. We are given enormous, if you don't want to do this kind of work, don't work at Vanderbilt. First of all, do you have to be religious to have an opposition to children having these irreversible medical decisions made on them based on the whims of adults who in quite a few cases are not even their parents? I don't think you have to be religious. I think you just have to have common sense. I think you just have to have a natural uh, feeling of protection towards children, towards minors. You just have to be a humane person who looks at this and sees the, the, the stories of people who have detransitioned and say, wait a minute, maybe we should focus on therapy or maybe we should allow that, that child to reach the age of maturity before we do something that would alter their life forever. And by the way, no matter how many surgeries you do, no matter how many hormones you take, you will never be the opposite sex. You simply never will. That is one of the biggest lies coming from the left on the gender ideology, is that you can actually change your innate biology, the way that you were born, to present and identify and be, literally be, the other gender. It doesn't work that way. You cannot change that. You might appear more feminine or appear more masculine, but you will never be a man and you will never be a woman. That is the reality of the situation. And look at how they use normal feelings of insecurity among teenagers as a way of targeting them to believe that they're a different gender. Things like, I feel insecure with my body, or I don't really feel like I fit in, or I'm anxious about going through puberty. Those are normal aspects of a human teenage experience. Every teenager has feelings of insecurity. When did those normal feelings become exported into you have to physically alter your body permanently 
to feel comfortable. We have to be able to teach kids that they can be comfortable with themselves without going through these permanent surgical and hormonal changes that they can never, ever come back from. This is one of many investigations, Vanderbilt University, what they're doing to the kids. Unfortunately, this is happening at more hospitals than we even realize. And uh, huge, huge accolades to conservatives who are doing the work to find out who was behind this, who was actually performing these surgeries, and to show them that there will be consequences for the genital mutilation and the chemical castration of our children. I'm Amber Athian for Rob Carson. We'll, uh, go, we'll go to a short break and we'll be right back in just a few minutes. Dissent is not disinformation. It's the Rob Carson Show. Amber Athian for Rob Carson today. We're talking about the, the left's use of medical uh, intervention to convince children that they can change their gender And, you know, the left used to talk about how the Republicans had a so-called war on women. Can we call this the Democrats' war on children? Uh, I don't know. Let's use use some of their tactics every now and then. Uh, I want to hear from Victor in Silver Spring about the left and their use of pronouns. Victor, you're on the line. Hi, and uh, welcome. Um, I will listen for you at 6 o'clock Sunday nights now. Thank you. Doing my plugs for me. That's great. We love you, Victor. Okay, well... I'm at the supermarket, and I'm paying for my food, and the checker is asking me, well, how's your, how's your fiancé Amy doing? I said, oh, she's doing fine. So this he, she, it, I don't know, says that I used the wrong pronoun in its presence, and I turned to this individual, and I said, hey, I wasn't talking to you. And how can I be homophobic when I can't see you? Get back in the clown car. <laughs> so they accosted you at the grocery store for using yeah. the wrong pronouns? Yeah. Well, I would think they might be more concerned about the cost of their groceries than being misgendered, but that's just me. <laughs> well, this is Montgomery County. you uh, you got to expect stuff like that. That's very true. I Unfortunately, I'm very familiar. Uh, Victor, thank you for uh for your call and uh there's more in the medical space regarding how we deal with with children who are struggling and there's a new study about antidepressants and antidepressants have been prescribed more than ever over the past 10 years it seems like if you just say you're feeling a little sad your doctor tries to give you an antidepressant. These are known as SSRIs. They include things like Zoloft and Prozac. But according to Newsweek, which has a new uh, study about this, only about 15% of users of antidepressants derive any more benefit from the drugs than they would a sugar pill. In addition, withdrawal symptoms for long-term users may be more severe than previously thought, sometimes worse than the original disorder. And how many people are on these SSRIs? Almost 26 million people have been taking them for more than two years, and 6 million have been on them for a decade or more. 
And just a couple of weeks ago, the New York Times ran a feature article about how many young people are on these. It is a shocking amount of adolescents who are put on these brain-altering drugs because they simply say that they're having a hard time. There's also little evidence that depression is caused by low serotonin, i.e. a chemical imbalance in the brain. People are far more likely, according to Newsweek, to become depressed over life events, which is normal. When bad things happen in life, you, you get sad, you get upset, you get frustrated, you might get angry, and sometimes that can lead to a depressive state. But we've been told by doctors for years that depression is actually a chemical imbalance in the brain. It's actually an illness that can be treated with medication as opposed to lifestyle changes like exercise or getting sunshine or being generally active and social. Instead, they have prescribed these antidepressants to millions of Americans and there's little evidence that they're working. That's why you often hear from people who are on antidepressants or who are seeking treatment for mental illness or depression specifically say, I need to get my medication changed or I need to get my dosage changed. Quite often they will discover that after a certain treatment method for a year or so, uh, it starts to not work as well anymore. And so the doctor has to uh, create this new cocktail of pills or a different dosage amount to try to get them to be effective again. And this leads to a whole lot of, of really negative side effects. It turns out that a lot of the antidepressants that people are prescribed in this country have a side effect of suicidal ideation. So the doctors will often say, oh, well, we need to adjust your dosage because, you know, the pill's obviously not working if you're having suicidal thoughts. Or if people get off of the pills and they have suicidal thoughts, they'll say, oh, it's, you know, because you, you got off of your medication, you need to get back on it. They don't see that these are either side effects from the medication or withdrawal symptoms. So a lot of people have been misdiagnosed or overdiagnosed with depression and then have been prescribed these antidepressants that don't seem to really do what we've been told they're supposed to do, which is solve the problem of people having bad moods, of people having depressive states. Uh, my dad passed away last summer and I decided to uh, to try out therapy for a little bit. A lot of people told me that it might be helpful um, just to have someone to talk through my feelings with. Um, he, he passed away pretty unexpectedly, so I was trying to sort through that. But shockingly, at my first session with a therapist, the first thing that he asked me was, do you think that you need to be on medication for depression? And I thought, my dad just died. What do you mean, do I need to be medicated for depression? Of course I'm sad. A sad thing just happened to me. And unfortunately, a lot of people are uncomfortable with just living with normal human emotions. And, and now we have this uh, overprescription. We'll be right back. This is the Rob Carson Show. I'm Amber Athey. It's time to make common sense common again. It's the Rob Carson Show. Amber Athey in for Rob Carson this morning. And we have uh, our next guest, Ryan Fournier. He's the founder and co-chair of Students for Trump. He's on the Newsmax hotline. Ryan, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I want to ask you about this, uh, this story about an FBI agent who has basically blown up his career because he's so concerned about the agency's targeting of conservative Americans. This guy's name is Steve Friend. What can you tell us about the allegations that he's made against the FBI? Yeah, so him and about 25 plus other agents as well. It's uh, the numbers growing every single week. Uh, but essentially, this guy 
uh, worked out of the field office down in Daytona Beach, Florida. He was stripped of his gun and his badge and escorted out of the Daytona Beach field office after he was questioning his bosses, uh, essentially over allegations of severe abuse of FBI policy uh, regarding the persecution of January 6th attendees. Uh, the Bureau removed him. This is the part that really upset me. Uh, the Bureau removed him from active investigations into child sex exploitation and human trafficking uh, to, to essentially work on these J6 cases that have been sent from D.C. They're being farmed out to all of these different field offices across the country. And when he questioned it, he was told, quote, domestic terrorism was of a higher priority. Uh, when you get into the weeds of this stuff, some of the allegations that he's making are, are absolutely incredible and should scare every single American out there. Uh, the, the fact that they're sort of, you know, going far beyond the black swan of, you know, J6 2021, where they're manipulating uh, case management protocol, where they're farming out these cases. They're trying to make it seem like it's more of a problem uh, than it is. And apparently, from what I've got from this whole entire thing, is that they're about to send out uh, sort of these more guardian notices uh, to go out, go to these homes of more people who were just in attendance or anywhere even near the Capitol uh, to also prosecute these individuals as well. Yeah, there's a recent case uh, where an individual who uh, basically did nothing else other than trespass on the Capitol building that day was sentenced to five years in prison. And in the sentencing guidelines, uh, the prosecutor cited the fact that the uh, the individual was enthusiastic about the fact that he was in the Capitol. So now they're actually reading in how excited these people are um, to be on the grounds in terms of the sentences that they're handing out to them. Um, people often ask, you know, where are the good guys in the FBI? Are they all gone? I think Mr. Steve Friend is, is an example of that, and these 25 others that you mentioned are, are an example of uh, the people who still believe in what used to be the charge of the FBI. Yeah, no, 100%. It's definitely lost all of its credibility. And, you know, I, I look to Dan Bongino here on this. He's provided some amazing coverage. Julie Kelly, amazing coverage if you follow her on social media. Uh, you know, I'm at my point now where it's like, I don't think it can be fixed. I don't think that the Bureau can be fixed. From what I've been hearing from some inside sources uh, coming from these whistleblowers, is that this is a problem that goes to the highest of echelons in every vertical, every department within the agency. It's become so corrupted, so swampy, that I think the only solution right now, and I think many Americans would agree with me, is defunding and abolishing the FBI and taking core critical pieces and bringing them to other entities within the government. They, at this point, the FBI is just unfixable, in my view. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a case to be made for that. And, you know, the other part of this, these allegations that you pointed out is, the FBI is redirecting resources. They have a finite amount of resources. So if they're focused on things like January 6th or going after school board parents or raiding the Mar-a-Lago resort in search of presidential records, what are they not focusing on? In this case, with uh, this particular whistleblower, it was child sex abuse cases. And it makes you wonder, what else are they missing because of this myopic focus on criminalizing the American right? Right, right. And, and, and one other fact that people, I, I don't think it's been really widely reported on. I mean, this story itself, the media does not want to talk about. But they basically post facto designated a grass area outside of the Capitol as a restricted zone. So even if you were on the grass, now they're saying 
that this is within the net of prosecution. You can be prosecuted for being on that grass. Another critical thing here, which is a clear violation of FBI policy, is he was listed as a lead agent on these cases, of uh, these cases that were farmed from the D.C. headquarters out to all of these different field offices. He was listed as the lead agent, and he never investigated these cases, never had any interest, and his supervisors hadn't even signed off on any of this. So no one knew what was going on. They were just getting these things thrown on their desk and say, you know, have at it. Uh, and when he questioned all this, got up to the top, got up to his bosses. He wanted to be sort of a conscientious uh, objector. That's when they stripped him of his gun and his badge, walked him out of the building like he was a criminal. And I, I believe this past Wednesday, he just officially became a whistleblower and now is working with the Senate. So I, I have to commend him. I have to commend all of the good FBI agents that are standing up for the Constitution, standing up for the oath that they took when they became a federal agent uh, and, and, you know, sort of, you know, steam pressing the system and, and, and fighting back against it because it takes, you know, a lot of cojones, in my opinion, to do what they're doing. So amen and, you know, bravo to these guys. Yes, that is incredibly courageous and brave what they're doing. I mean, to basically throw away your entire career for the sake of what's right. And by the way, Ryan, I don't know if I missed it, but I haven't seen any update on who the alleged bomber was that was trying to go after the RNC and the DNC on January 6th. I don't. Has there been any update on who that individual is or where they might be? That that story has been buried beyond belief. Uh, you know, same thing with the person who leaked the Roe v. Wade decision. I believe the FBI got involved with that too. Still, have not heard anything on any of these cases. Uh, it, it is odd, and there should be questions about this. You should be seeing Congress question the FBI about this stuff because we're not hearing anything about it. Right. I certainly hope uh, with the, the if the Republicans take back the House that they will launch investigations into all of this and hopefully uncover uh, some of what Americans really want to know about these various cases. Speaking of which, while I have you, I want to get your thoughts on the House Republicans plan that they unveiled this morning. If they are to take back control of Congress after the midterms, it's called the Commitment to America. And they talk about a number of things from immigration enforcement to protecting parents' rights in schools. And just wanted to get your take on on uh, that plan that they've released. And if you think it, it, if there's anything missing from it, if it goes far enough, uh, what are your thoughts? No, I, you know, I think it's a really good outline. I was surprised that, you know, McCarthy was proposing this. I, Me I too. At one point, <laughs> I, 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 I agree with Matt Gates on the fact of uh, he, he kind of said, you know, this 200,000 more police officers where they essentially want to subsidize it at the federal level. I do not agree with that. The more federal government intervention and state and local law enforcement issues, it just gets muddled, and there's really mm -hmm. no feasible way for us to even do it on the federal level. I don't agree with that point. I think it should be striped away. Uh, but, you know, when you look at this, these are things actually, you know, Americans care about. You know, these are things that affect everyday life, like fighting inflation. Instead of attacking Donald Trump every single day of the week and having, you know, these speeches, these demonic speeches that Biden has been giving, where he's essentially labeling us all as terrorists, enemies of the state, instead of that, Maybe we should be focusing on, you know, lowering gas prices, you know, without just, you know, going to our strategic oil reserve to tempor temporarily inflate uh, the numbers, right? Uh, work on lowering the, you know, the price of food, electricity. All of this stuff is going up. I, you know, Amber, I know you've seen this. Everything on the wall, it's very clear writing. We're going into a recession. Whether these yes. guys will admit it or not, we're going into a recession and people want 
answers. They want action. They do not want this, uh, you know, sort of circle diatribe that you see going on where it's like everything is just an attack. There's no action. Congress is doing nothing. So I think we have the mandate here. If we go in and we don't have another 2017 like we did, you know, after Trump was elected where, you know, they failed on health care, they failed on the border, they failed on so many things while we lost the midterms. If they go in and they actually do something and do their work, they investigate Hunter Biden, they work on controlling inflation, uh, you know, they go after all of these things that they say they're going to do, then we will have no problem in 2024. No problem. Yeah, I completely agree. And look, the midterm predictions, the polls now are showing that these swing state races, particularly in the Senate in Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, they're tightening a lot. So, you know, fingers crossed it all goes the Republican way and that they actually uh, take care to use the power that they're given uh, if they if they do take the majority. I've got to run Ryan Fournier, founder and co-chair of Students for Trump. Thank you so much for joining us on the Newsmax hotline. Great. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. All right. And we'll be right back. This is the Rob Carson Show with Amber Athey. It's the Rob Carson Show. Amber Athey in for Rob Carson. I'm the Washington editor for The Spectator and the host of Unfit to Print Sunday nights at 6 p.m. on WCBM. Wokeness has infected pretty much every major American institution from higher education to Hollywood to uh, corporate businesses, corporations, to uh, public schools, and even the military. The military has become awash in wokeness. Uh, for those of you uh, members of the military and veterans out there, there's probably a good Air Force joke to be made here, um, but I'll leave that to you. The Air Force Academy is now promoting a fellowship that bans cisgender men, telling them this program isn't for you. Eligible applicants for the program... Uh, which is, it's a fellowship program for, it's called the Brooke Owens Fellowship. The, the applicants must be, quote, cisgender women, transgender women, non-binary, agender, bigender, two-spirit, demigender, gender fluid, or gender queer. If you're in the same boat as me and don't know what half of these things mean, I'm sorry, but I cannot help you. It would take me a lot of time and research to figure out what any of these nonsense words are supposed to mean to the left. But how disturbing that the Air Force Academy is buying in to these ridiculous made-up genders from the left. The application states, if you are a cisgender man, this program isn't for you. But we encourage you to check out our spinoff programs, the Patty Grace Smith Fellowship and Matthew Isakowitz Fellowship Program. So basically anyone but a cisgender man is allowed to apply for this fellowship. So at that point, can you even claim that it's really a fellowship for gender minorities if you're including all of these genders but men? These attempts at uh, inclusivity from the left always end up being... Uh, pretty exclusive, it turns out. This is a nine-week paid internship at a leading aerospace company. It says any undergraduate who is a woman or gender minority is welcome to apply. Again, the fellowship says that cisgender women, transgender women, non-binary, agender, bigender, two-spirit, demigender, gender fluid, or gender queer individuals are allowed to apply for this Air Force Fellowship. Again, the call-in number for the show is 1-800-922-6680. If you're a member of the military or a military veteran, what do you think 
about the Air Force Academy adopting the left's bizarre gender ideology. They also have a diversity training going on now. This is according to Fox News that tells cadets that they need to use words that include all genders, which means dropping words like mom and dad. The slide presentation titled Diversity and Inclusion advises cadets to use person-centered and gender-neutral language when describing individuals. Some families are headed by single parents, grandparents, foster parents, two moms, two dads, etc. Consider parent or caregiver instead of mom and dad. Use words that include all genders like folks or y'all instead of guys. Part, use partner instead of boyfriend or girlfriend. It also tells people that you should not use the phrase colorblind or I don't see color. Now, the obvious question in all of this is how exactly... Is this contributing to a combat-ready military? How does this help us win wars? How does this help members of the military be prepared for a conflict that they might find themselves in? It doesn't. At least I don't think it does. Again, call numbers 1-800-922-6680. The Air Force Academy is now training cadets to use gender-neutral language and also offers a fellowship for everybody but cisgender men, and a cisgender man, by the way, is a man who still identifies as a man. So, you know, just a man. I don't know why we need to put the term cisgender in front of it. Um, the diversity and inclusion slides, um, it's... It's just wokeness gone wrong, wokeness gone awry. And unfortunately, this is happening across the military Back when Trump was in office, he instituted what many people referred to as the transgender troop ban. But the reality was that he thought that people who were undergoing things like hormone therapy or gender transition surgeries should have to be granted a special exemption to prove that they are combat ready. Because believe it or not, when you're undergoing severe medical interventions, that might affect your ability to be able to participate in the highly physical act of engaging in combat or engaging in war skirmishes or what have you. So he thought that they should have to get a special medical sign off. It didn't ban transgender people from serving in the military. It simply said, we want to make sure that if you're undergoing medical treatment for your alleged gender dysphoria, then we need to have a doctor sign off to make sure that you are physically prepared for everything the military entails. But the left went off on Trump. They said it was a transgender ban. Now you actually see leadership in the military adopting these bizarre uh, phrases and, and ideologies from the left. For example, General Mark Milley, who was a joint sh the head of the Joint Chief of Chiefs of Staff, was in a CNN interview where he actually used the term white rage to describe the way that white people react to injustices. And you see other members of leadership who oppose the woke takeover of the military actually being pushed out of their positions or being demoted for speaking out against everything that's happening. 
So the Air Force Academy having these diversity trainings where they tell people you, to use gender neutral language, having the fellowship where they uh, they tell people that they are uh, only allowed to apply if they're not a cisgender male is nothing new. And it's going to continue probably um, unless more members of the military continue to speak out, particularly ones in leadership. And if uh, Republicans take back a majority in the House, hopefully there can be some kind of legislative effort to root out this toxic cancer. Because uh, if we get into any wars anytime soon, I, I worry about our ability to be victorious when we seem to be focused on all of the wrong things. This is the Rob Carson Show. I'm Amber Athey filling in for Rob. We'll be back after a quick break. It is indeed the Rob Carson Show, but Rob is not here this afternoon. I'm Amber Athey filling in for Rob. And I have a quick update on this Matt Gates story for uh, about a year now, I think. It's been a long time. Democrats have been alleging that Matt Gates is a pedophile, that he's been actually paying underage women to have sex with him. Well, the Washington Post has a new article out that suggests those allegations, as we expected, were totally bunk. Career prosecutors have recommended against charging Representative Matt Gates in a long-running sex trafficking investigation telling Justice Department superiors that a conviction is unlikely in part because of credibility questions with the two central witnesses, according to people familiar with the matter. One of the people who was making allegations against Matt Gates is a guy by the name of Joel Greenberg, who has actually been charged with sex trafficking of a minor, pleaded guilty to that actually, and a host of other crimes, and has a history of making false allegations against people. Imagine that. This is The Rob Carson Show. I'm Amber Athey. I filled in for Rob today, and I appreciate you listening. If you'd like to find more, you can go on Twitter. I'm at Amber underscore Athey. Read my work at spectatorworld.com. And tune in Sunday nights at 6 p.m. to Unfit to Print on WCBN. Thanks. I'm signing off.